Greetings, I'm Brad Thomas, and this is After All is Said and Done. Welcome. After all is said and done, then we will know, won't we? But perhaps we can know now, if we choose to. No doubt you have seen about this terrible school shooting in the Denver area just after the 20th anniversary of the Columbine Massacre. So that I don't forget to mention it, let me say this, that in what I have read concerning this latest attack, which took place at the so-called STEM school, Highlands Ranch, with references to Columbine, you never, I never, read anything about the fact that Christian students were systematically targeted. Yes, it's something that the major media engaged in their two favorite things, (laughs) their two favorite tactics 20 years ago. First is just ignoring it, pretending something didn't take place. Just ignoring, not giving any air to breathe, not allowing any mention to be made. And then, if mention is made, if word does get out, then to deny it. This is not just the principal two tactics of the major media, but this is true for all leftists, socialist activists, the Sololinskys, the communists, <laughs> fascists, so forth. There are other tenets. Number three is, if word does get out, and they, of course, have to go into this heavy-duty damage control denial mode, then along with that, they attack those who are telling the truth. Attack them verbally, slander them, libel them, engage in massive and unremitting, withering character assassination. After that, then they engage in other things, other forms of intimidation and eventually imprisonment, torture, murder, so on and so forth. But first and foremost, deny their existence, right? So in my case, for instance, deny the existence of the abortion breast cancer link. That is the link between induced abortion and the greater incidence of breast cancer, not only breast cancer, but of earlier onset breast cancer, not only of earlier onset breast cancer, but of more virulent, recurrent strains of breast cancer resulting in metastatic breast cancer and so forth. But anyway, that's just one case in point, okay, my 
loving life, sparing public service campaign of long ago. But here with regard to Columbine, no mentions of the fact that Christians were systematically targeted for destruction. Not only that, but this is, it's a wonderful reminder, as terrible, as horrible, as monstrous as this is, it is a wonderful reminder of what took place at Columbine with regard to the police response. Now, I don't know if this figure is to be believed or if it is actually a longer period of time, but at least, at least 47 minutes More than three-quarters of an hour transpired before the first SWAT member of the police entered Columbine after the slaughter began. At least 47 minutes. At a minimum, 47 minutes. Well, but of course, they had to get to the school, right? After all, it's out in the boonies, No, not really. (laughs) It's in Littleton, Colorado. But 47 minutes. Well, they had to get word of it. They had to get to the school. But then it wasn't sufficient for them to rush in. While students were being cut down, were being slaughtered, while the murderers were roaming the hallways and the library and the schoolrooms and demanding (laughs) that Christians recant their faith, while this was going on, we had SWAT troops there at the school taking cover behind vehicles, bravely, covered in body armor. But hey, you know... uh, Too bad for those students in there. Anyway, it was a sight to behold. It was obscene. It was monstrous. But that is what took place. Don't you believe otherwise? That is what took place at Columbine, outside of the school. But I digress. So here at this public charter school, not a private charter school, but a public charter school, STEM School, Highlands Ranch. Good that it's charter. Bad that it is still another one of these comparatively behemoth schools. No, not 4,000, not 5,000. Merely 1,850, I believe, is the number of the students at this school. And interestingly enough, they range in age from K through 12. I'm not against that. I just think that is interesting. From K through 12. But the murderers, their modus operandi is very interesting. After it was two, it was a boy and a girl, a young man and a young woman, the male being 18 years of age. But after he went into one room, an English classroom, he talked with the teacher before he revealed his weapon, pulled out his weapon, and 
ordered everyone in the room not to move. So how would you respond to that? At gunpoint, orders everyone to stay still, stand still. And then he began shooting. He wanted stationary targets to shoot at. This is standard operating procedure, okay? Shooting ducks in a barrel or whatever all else they are in a barrel. This is what is desired. This is one reason that schools are so popular because the high schools, of course, they're gun-free zones. But colleges, universities, gun-free zones, okay, defenseless, comparatively defenseless people. It's not that there are no means of self-defense, but it's that they are unarmed. So this concept of shooting ducks in a barrel, fish in a barrel, whatever's in a barrel, and ordering them to stand still. It's like the Islamist terrorists on the jetliners. Okay. Everybody stand down. Everybody just remain in your seats. Everybody stay still. <laughs> while we take over the plane and while we slaughter any that we find it Helpful to slaughter. Don't intervene. Don't attack us. <laughs> okay, don't resist. Resistance is futile. Stay right where you are. Standard operating procedure in home invasions, in kidnap rape murders, is to threaten the targeted individuals and to bind them. To bind them. Now, it's one thing if somebody is knocked out, cold-cocked, and are bound. But that's not usually the scenario. It's not that it never happens. More often than not, they are threatened and terrified into compliance. And ordered to allow themselves to be bound. Well, here, this precocious young murderer, just as in the case of Columbine and this school so nearby to that one. He orders the students, the teacher, stand still. Then he begins shooting. Well, this young man, Kendrick Ray Castillo, 18 years of age, on the verge of graduation, with a reputation as being exceptionally nice, kind, hilarious, helpful, caring. And he's a big boy. He's a big guy. And he sees this happening. He immediately charges the shooter. Bowls him over, but is mortally wounded in the act of doing so. This allows almost all of the students to flee the classroom and the teacher to do so. And meanwhile, several other young men also tackle the shooter. 
it was, again, if you will, an honor roll addition to those that I mentioned before just such a short time ago. Riley Howell, in his anthropology class at University of North Carolina, Charlotte, the principal campus of University of North Carolina, and the 60-year-old woman, he was 21, the 60-year-old woman, Lori Kay, Lori Gilbert Kay, of Shabbat of Poway in North San Diego, noticing that this young man had entered with this weapon and is a blink away from blowing away her lifelong friend, beloved rabbi, and she leaps in front, in the path, in front of the rabbi who has his back to the shooter and who has just shaken hands, clasped hands with her just just moments before that. And she takes the shots that were intended for the rabbi, sparing his life. He still could have died. He got shot twice, amazingly, in both hands, And meanwhile, another member of the synagogue, Oscar Stewart, ran screaming, yelling at the shooter. And the shooter's firearm jammed, and he dropped the gun and fled. These people, in each case sacrificially lay down their lives for friends, for loved ones, for others who may not have been friends. As the Lord Jesus said, greater love hath no man than this, that he layeth down his life for his friends. So I add, young Kendrick Ray Castillo to this honor roll. A life cut short prematurely for sure. But these murderers who desire to be remembered, to be glorified, to have fame, infamy will do. You know, if fame won't do, infamy will do. Well, they're going to miss out. Okay. Kendrick Castillo will be remembered. But his father, Kendrick's father, said, All these kids, pardon me, this is not his father, this is a classmate. All these kids are alive because of his sacrifice and the bravery of all the boys to neutralize the threat. And that's actually the mother of this girl with this name. I don't know how to pronounce it. Nui? 
Nui Giasoli, something like that. Her mother, Nikki. But the father said, selfless. That's what my son was, and it got him killed. Actually, murdered. But he saved others. Because of what he did, others are alive, and I thank God for that. And this, his only child, not his only son, his only child, as well as his only son. What a loss for this family, but not a loss in vain. A terrible sacrifice, to be sure. Meanwhile, in communist China, that wonderful, most favored nation, China, this man, Lu Xiaobo, or something like that, Xiaobo, I think, he died at the ripe old age of 61 after having been imprisoned for more than seven years. Imprisoned for subversion against the state. What did that terrible subversion amount to that was so threatening to the communist regime? Well, it consisted of writing authoring seven sentences, a total of 224 Chinese characters. He was to serve for 11 years in a terrible prison. But he died apparently of liver cancer. I say apparently because these things are very questionable when it comes to these communist, totalitarian, authoritarian, fascist, and what have you regimes. But he was awarded the Nobel Peace Prize for a life dedicated to the memory of the protesters who were massacred in Beijing's Tiananmen Square, June 4th, 1989. I believe, based on what I've read, it occurred also June 3rd, and it would seemingly also have occurred June 5th. Uh, The photo that I've seen of the young man referred to as Tank Man, who stopped a column of Chinese tanks single-handedly, standing before them as they rolled through the square. That supposedly was from the 5th, but but this man, he served as a conscience for China, reminding the people of this terrible monstrous massacre, which again, as horrendous as it was, premeditated massacre 
of these young people. The communist regime of China said, oh, a couple hundred, that's all. And they also said that some of their soldiers died. How did that happen? Did they run over one another or shoot one another? They may well have, okay, because they ran over young people with their tanks. They shot them, mowed them down. And lo and behold, I'm guessing it was friendly fire because the protesters were unarmed. They had nothing. So the idea that a something on the order of 10 to a dozen soldiers died is a little bit suspicious. But again, they offer that up as a reason, as a justification for the slaughter <laughs> of the students. Oh, but, you know, the communist Chinese, they are just such intellectually honest individuals. But this man, he was married to a woman of the same tenor, of the same quality as himself, She got to be with him just before he died. He was not permitted to go abroad for medical treatment. He was denied that. It was his dying wish that his wife, Lu Jia, be permitted, be allowed to go abroad. But, no. The communist Chinese regime had had her under house arrest for seven years or more at this time. Again, for the entirety of his imprisonment. And really, remarkably, miraculously, stupendously, She was finally allowed to leave China after an additional year of house arrest. This woman emaciated. She was depressed, suffering from heart ailments. And her friends said depression. State police patrolled her apartment complex continually, 24-7. Meanwhile, her brother had been arrested and tried and convicted of fraud. I mentioned in the previous program, these are the favorite charges of the communist Chinese regime and of Putin's regime in Russia. Subversion, fraud, corruption... These are the favorite charges. This is what they bring against the pastors, against the ministers, against the evangelists, against the missionaries. These are the charges. When I say evangelist, please don't think in terms of the gospel prostituting televangelists that pollute the airwaves in the United States of America and have for decades and decades. Kindly, don't think of those. That's not to say that all of those described as evangelists here from the United States of America are bad 
<laughs> but I'm sure that there are some, you know, rare individuals that are not. But either that or very small-time people. But those who have gained such fame, dare I say infamy, as televangelists are typically of that ilk that I have described. But lo and behold, these evangelists in communist China are Christian workers who hazard their lives for the gospel of Christ, who lay down their lives daily to make the truth, the life of Christ Jesus known. And you can find the same kind in other places, in India, in Vietnam, in Nigeria, in Sudan, and so on and so forth, and Iran, of all places, and Syria. But this dear woman, her brother, was tried, found guilty of fraud, sentenced to 13 years. But then they did something clever. Yes, these masters of propaganda, these masters of indoctrination, these masters of intimidation and torture, they did something clever, and that is they paroled her brother And they made it very clear to her that if she did anything other than remain under house arrest, he would be sent back to prison. Yes. As it was stated, it is a crude form of hostage-taking. If she goes out, She manages to be heard. Her message is heard by the world's people or those that would care to hear it via journalists. Then the regime will be very swift and very severe in punishing her brother to the nth degree. But... Under the weight of this, being under house arrest and under constant heavy-handed surveillance, and neglecting her own health because of the stress from this, becoming emaciated, suffering heart problems, She stated shortly before she was finally released that she was ready to die. Not to take her own life, but she was ready to die. And it was understood, you know, she had very short time left. Well, Germany, under the leadership of... Merkel, Angela Merkel, through its diplomatic channels with China, 
they managed to finagle and negotiate her release. And so she was flown to Berlin, to Berlin, Germany. How do you like them apples? July 10th, 2018. Interestingly enough, it has been stated that Berlin, Germany is the number one favorite city of Chinese dissidents. Remarkable. But the description that I've read of Berlin at this time, it, it rings familiar, uh, akin to some of the things, not all of them, but some of the things that were said to describe Berlin of Berlin in the 30s, 1930s. But in any case, there is a, a community of Chinese dissenters in Berlin, Germany. Thankfully, she will not be alone. And hopefully, this dear woman will recover and enjoy life as far as she can, having been deprived of her husband, the love of her life. Before I continue, let me just say I'm Brad Thomas, and this is After All is Said and Done. And whatever is right and true and good in this program is thanks to God Almighty and His Holy Son, Jesus Christ. And whatever is lacking, erring, failing, deficient is due to me. That is on me. Well, interestingly enough, you know, I mentioned in the previous program that Hong Kong was supposed to enjoy 50 years, a half century, of independent governance from the communist regime. At a bare minimum, that, but then it's, there was the inference that then it would segue into actual factual, not just de facto, but actual uh, freedom from communist China. But, and that was by the then president of communist China at the time of the surrender of Hong Kong by Britain, by great, so-called Great Britain, to communist China, to the communist regime of China. But interestingly enough, ever since that point in time, 1997, communist China, the communist Chinese regime has been pressuring the activation, the adoption and activation of Article 23 into the basic law of the Hong Kong Special Administrative Region. Something that they managed to push through in Macau, which is 
utterly subservient to communist China. Well, what is so big about this Article 23? It is an odious anti-subversion article. And it's very fluid as far as how it reads. This is the, this is the totality of what it says. The Hong Kong Special Administrative Region shall enact laws on its own, you know, in, a, in essence, independent of communist China, shall enact laws on its own to prohibit any act of treason, secession, sedition, subversion against the central people's government or theft of state secrets to prohibit foreign political organizations or bodies from conducting political activities in the region and to prohibit political organizations or bodies of the region from establishing ties with foreign political organizations or bodies, end quote. Well, Hong Kong, as I mentioned previously, is an extremely international place. Yes, the population is heavily Chinese, but there are representatives from everywhere on the face of the earth there. Again, it is the number three financial center in the world. And as Hong Kong goes, so goes Asia to a very significant extent, even though it has been being reined in by communist China's regime, even as communist China's regime has been building up its own centers in Beijing and Shanghai and so forth. But this anti-sedition, anti-subversion, anti-secession, anti-treason article it's all about command and control. Oh, yes, the, this special administrative region shall enact laws on its own. This special administrative region is totally under the boot of the communist Chinese regime. But in addition to that, the communist Chinese regime has installed their own stooges in charge of it and has refused to seat any popularly elected people, representatives, that are pro-democracy, let alone pro-independence. So what it amounts to is it's not that communist China, its horrible regime, can't do all manner of evil in Hong Kong without this. They can. The difference is this. Right now, they can send their secret police and their stormtroopers and so forth into Hong Kong, whisk away anybody that they want to take out of there, kidnap them bodily. But by enacting Article 23, they're able to get the Hong Kong authorities to do their bidding directly for them so it does not appear to the world to be communist China's regime involving itself so viciously and ruthlessly and brutally in Hong Kong, but rather 
popularly elected people being in charge of this. That's why it's so important. Now, I mentioned before with regard to Taiwan about the efforts by these pro-democracy leaders and pro-independence leaders in Hong Kong of trying to join up with pro-democracy leaders in Taiwan and of the reception they have received, courtesy of communist China's intrigue and conspiring with organized crime on the Chinese mainland, in Hong Kong proper, and Kowloon, and on Taiwan. But going back a ways, let's go back 15 years, shall we? Then-President Shen Shui-bian, terrible pronunciation, sorry, President of Taiwan at that time, he survived an assassination attempt, as did his vice president, Annette Liu. She was shot in the knee, he was shot in the abdomen, as they zipped along in a motorcade, in an open vehicle. This was shortly before presidential election. Why bother to mention this? I mean, these things happen. You know, it's no doubt a lone crazed gunman. And I was just, I found it fascinating to see in the, uh, the, the coverage of this, the reporting on this, that that was what it was assumed to be, a lone crazed gunman. But they said still, with the speed of the motorcade, it seemed beyond improbable that one shooter managed to shoot both of them. But I found it fascinating that on the ballots at that time, not only was there this presidential election in Taiwan, but President Chen was pushing a referendum asking voters whether Taiwan should increase its defenses against then hundreds of Chinese missiles pointed at it. Now thousands, all right? But then hundreds of Chinese missiles targeted on Taiwan. Should Taiwan increase its defenses? Should it spend money on additional defenses to try to hold off, to thwart murderous attack from communist China? That was on the ballot at the same time. And again, this took place days before this election and before voting on this referendum. What I found to be just, oh, Not surprising, but still disappointing, horrendous, was that the United States of America, this is the United States federal government, that is the executive department of George W. Bush, 
freedom fighter George W. Bush, right? The United States, its ambassadors, its officials reporting directly to number 43, George W. Bush, expressed its strong displeasure with that referendum. Isn't that great? Isn't that great of the United States of America, which completely ignores Taiwan and has for decades, shuns Taiwan, refuses to arm Taiwan, to even sell arms to Taiwan, that George W. Bush treats Taiwan this way. Isn't that great? United States of America gets hit with a terrorist attack resulting in 3,000 deaths. There are those who insist it was not Islamist terrorists and so on and so forth, but Islamist terrorists hijack American jets in America, fly them into buildings, into the World Trade Center, Twin Towers, and elsewhere, and Total casualties, total deaths are 3,000 plus, including first responders, EMTs, firefighters, police, and so forth. And President Bush, he has his administration express its strong displeasure with the president of Taiwan seeking to have Taiwanese voters give their approval for this small island off the coast of communist China, across the Taiwan Straits, this small island with a fraction of the population of communist China, with a fraction of the military of communist China, he tries to elicit the support of voters to permit him to increase defenses from horrendous murderous attack from communist China. And our president expresses his strong displeasure with that. Don't you think there's just some sort of a crazy dichotomy there, huh? You know, Islamists come to America, hijack commercial aircraft, fly them into the World Trade Center, Twin Towers and Pentagon and what have you, and lo and behold, oh, we launch this war against terror, right? Second Gulf War, call it what you will. This war against terror that, of course, continues on throughout his administration. And, of course, we have to have the Patriot Act and so forth. Even while the United States of America permits Islamist organizations to operate as charitable religious organizations, even while they are backing terrorism around the world, and allows Islamists to bring Sharia to places like Dearborn, Michigan. But anyway, interesting that 
even while, oh my, that's such a threat to the United States of America, he doesn't see Taiwan as being threatened by communist China. Amazing. Just brilliant, fabulous, outstanding leadership. But that's the kind of leadership we've had in the United States of America, going back to Dr. Kissinger's puppet, Richard Milhouse Nixon, and forward from there. But, yes, just great stuff. But of course, of course, this could not have been an assassination attempt engineered by communist China. Impossible, even though they have got loads of their secret agents there. I mentioned before that years ago, not recently, years ago, I read credible information that there were in excess of 200,000 communist Chinese spies in the U.S. of A. I know, that figure is breathtaking. Let's say it was only 10% that many, right? Let's say it was only 20,000, not 200,000. Let's see how that stacks up against the Soviet Union during the Cold War years. What was the peak number that it was estimated that they had? Not talking about moles necessarily, American-born moles, talking about Russian spies infiltrated into the U.S. of A. What was the top number, supposedly? 500. (laughs) 500 compared to 200,000. Hmm. How does that compare? (laughs) And again, 200,000, maybe that was some sort of inflated number. Let's say just 20,000, right? Okay. So in other words, then, communist China would have had only 40 times as many as the Soviet Union, not Putin's Russian Federation, as the Soviet Union ever had in the U.S. of A. Oh, my. But. Again, not only was this strong displeasure voiced, communicated from the United States of America via its officials, but also from France, NATO nuclear power France, Germany, NATO nuclear power Germany, Japan, That's right, Japan and South Korea, okay? (laughs) In the same part of the world, you know, under the same threat from communist China, only much less directly so, in much less grave, imminently grave danger from the communist regime on mainland China. Now, South Korea and Japan under grave threat of such from North Korea. But again, they expressed their strong displeasure with with President Chen for his doing the right thing. Amazing, I think, truly. But wonderful, wonderful communist regimes. Isn't it fascinating that the United States of America now For decade upon decade upon decade upon decade, I mean, nearly a half century, not a half century, perhaps, you know, it might be, it appears to be, you know, perhaps a few years shy of a half century. (laughs) The United States of America, that bastion of freedom, right? Is that fair to say? 
bastion of freedom, pillar of freedom, number one champion of freedom worldwide. And it has been for how long? couple centuries plus. Guess what? That all of this time, nearly a half century, more than 45 years, the United States of America via its executive branch in the federal government and its legislative branch without bringing the miserable, obscene, horrendous, damnable Supreme Court into it. Let's just say the executive branch and the legislative branch have cooperatively shunned and isolated Taiwan, free China, where Chiang Kai-shek took his remaining people, remaining forces, and government to Taiwan. We have shunned them and shunned South Vietnam, evacuated South Vietnam, cut them off, left them to hang out to dry, to be slaughtered by the communist regime of North Vietnam that was backed by the two supreme communist superpowers of China and the Soviet Union. But we have shunned and isolated and refused Taiwan while we have made nice with communist China. It's vicious communist regime, and communist Soviet Union at that time. We made nice with them. Most favored nation status for communist China of the Cultural Revolution, of Chairman Mao, Richard Milhouse Nixon, at Dr. Henry Kissinger's bidding, did that. Even while the Vietnam War had taken so many American lives and destroyed so many American lives and was taking so many American lives, he clinked champagne glasses and made nice with Chairman Mao and a great number of major, powerful, rich American businesses went lusting over to China, blinded by greed, imagining that they would (laughs) make out greatly there in China instead of vice versa, instead of building up China. But this bastion of freedom, we've done this. We have become bedfellows, lovers, with the most vicious, heinous, monstrous, murderous regimes on the face of the earth. Donald Trump is continuing that in that great tradition with Kim Jong-un, Kim Jong-un, Kim Jong-un, whatever your preference is. And so we continue here with communist China and with Vladimir Putin's gangster Russian regime 
But you know, when I say gangster, don't misunderstand me. Because communist China's regime is a gangster regime also. There isn't a whit of difference. (laughs) They wear uniforms and so forth instead of, you know, gangster garb. But these are gangsters, cutthroats. Interestingly here, read about uh, Russia is now trying to, supposedly, to build a nuclear aircraft carrier. It has none. It has one total conventional aircraft carrier, which is or was severely damaged, the Kuznetsov. But (laughs) I'm a little bit surprised that they would choose to put their defense dollars there. More on that later. I'm Brad Thomas, and this is After All is Said and Done. After all is said and done, then we will know, won't we? But perhaps we can know now if we choose to. Thank you. Thank you.